Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. The nine o'clock hour, we started our Spanish-speaking ministry today, so that's kind of fun. And then, yeah, amen. And. Uh... And uh, the 1045 hour, there's a Sunday school class. So if you know of any friends who speak Spanish, uh, the translation will happen at the 9 o'clock hour, and then the class will be at the 1045 hour. Uh, how many of you have started your spring cleaning? Anybody? Come on. Okay, a few of you have. Now, uh, spring cleaning is officially recognized from March 1st through April 30th. So you're late. If you didn't start it. But that's okay because spring always comes late in Chicago anyway, all right? Now, spring cleaning can include dusting and vacuuming the house and washing windows, cleaning out rooms and reorganizing rooms and closets and sweeping out the garage and cleaning out gutters. I borrowed a ladder this past Friday from a neighbor and uh, it didn't go too well at first, uh, but, then, but, then, but then I got the hang of it and uh, got way up there. And, and let me tell you, it is high up there. It, it, it just just is. And now, now spring cleaning also means something else. It means throwing things out, people. Do not be a pack rat. Now, this, this, this whole message, this whole verse is just for you this Sunday, okay? Ecclesiastes 3, 1, and 6. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. Say this with me. A time to keep And a time to throw away. Repeat that to the person next to you. A time to throw away. All right. Now, there is a fascinating history with spring cleaning. Uh, And it's practiced in cultures all around the world. Um, but, But in all honesty, many trace it back, spring cleaning, to the Jewish Passover that took place in the spring. When they would clean their houses, getting rid of any and all leaven. So Jesus practiced spring cleaning, literally, and during the Passover in the spring, he also practiced it. Why? Not at his home in Nazareth, that's not where it happened, but God's house in Jerusalem. And there was a lot more than leaven that he got rid of. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, it's time for some spring cleaning. And I've titled this message, What's Important to Jesus Should Be Important to Us. Say that with me. What's important to Jesus should be important to us. Now, the wedding in Cana has ended. His first sign displaying his glory, turning the water into wine, has taken place. And then we pick it up in John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. John 2, starting in verse 12. After this, he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables, and he made a scourge of cords, a whip, and drove them out of the temple, all of them. With the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, he overturned their tables, and to those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away, stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What's important to Jesus should be important to me, and what's important to Jesus should be important to you. The first thing I see that's important to Jesus is commitment to the word of God. 
I need to be committed to the word of God. You may say, well, where do I see commitment to the word of God? We'll get there. Just trust me on this one. Notice what's going on in the life of Jesus, verse 12. He went down to Capernaum from Cana. He's there a few days. Then he goes from there to Jerusalem. You don't see it in the text here, but you need to understand how much traveling Jesus is doing. He's going all over the place. Here's a map of Jesus' traveling. He's traveled 65 miles from Bethany in the south, where John baptized him in the Jordan, all the way to Cana of Galilee. Then he travels 16 miles from Cana, the place of his first miracle, to Capernaum on the north shore of Galilee. Now we read he goes from Capernaum to Jerusalem, which is 85 miles south. When is the last time you traveled 16 miles, 65 miles, 85 miles on foot? I want you to think about this. He's putting a lot of miles on his feet. This is not public transportation. This is not jumping in your car and going 85 miles. These are dusty, dirty miles, no paved roads, long, hard miles in sandals, not comfy tennis shoes. You may say, man, why so many miles? Take a break, Jesus. Sit at home. You've got your your mom there and your brothers. And by the way, he had brothers. He has siblings. Mary and Joseph have children after Jesus is born, okay? Take a break. Stay at home. Enjoy time with your family. Enjoy time with your friends, the disciples. Why more miles, Jesus? Because Jesus is a man of the word of God. Jesus is a law-abiding citizen. No matter how many times he has to be on the road, no matter how much traveling he's going to take, that's going to take place in his life, he's going to follow God's word. Listen carefully. No matter how much traveling you do, no matter how much tra- uh, time on the road you have, don't take a break from God. No matter how much traveling you're doing, don't take a break from his word. No matter how much traveling you're doing, don't take a break from his house. No matter how much traveling you're doing, no matter how much time on the road, do not take a break from his people. I talked to my wife this morning. She's in Ohio, traveling through to Indiana. She picked up my youngest son's, all all his stuff from college, and she's coming through. And she texted me, letting me know she's, she's finding a church to go to this morning. We have a friend who's a pastor in in Indiana, so she thought it'd be nice to just pop in there. She's on the road. She's not taking a break from God's house, not taking a break from, from God's word, not taking a break from God's people. I want to encourage you, don't take a break. It doesn't matter how much you're on the road. You need God, his word, his people, that fellowship. Now, Jesus is committed to God's word. And you may say, well, I don't see it. It says in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And by the way, you may say, I thought he went south. How is he going up? It's up in elevation. Jerusalem sits higher. So he's going up to Jerusalem, 85 miles away. Why? This was a requirement of the law. Every Jewish male required was required to attend three Jewish annual feasts in Jerusalem. Passover also known as unleavened bread, Pentecost, and tabernacles. 
It's recorded in Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. Three times a year you'll celebrate a feast to me. Verse 17, three times a year all your males will appear before the Lord. Deuteronomy 16, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place in which he chooses, the feast of unleavened bread and at the feast of weeks and the feast of booths. So Jesus faithfully upheld God's word. The word of God was important to Jesus and it needs to be important to us. Jesus followed God's word. He kept track of the Jewish feasts. He obeyed God's word. By the way, sometimes obeying God's word can seem like an inconvenience. Sometimes we're kind of tired. I want to encourage you, don't make excuses when it comes to obeying God's word. It doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how much of an inconvenience it seems to be. It's always right to obey God's word. And by the way, Jesus consistently obeyed. The gospel of John, we read three different Passovers, possibly four if if the feast in John chapter 5 refers to Passover that he took part in. And so it wasn't just this Passover, it's every year he's going there. He's part of it. And the Passover feast was important for the people of Israel. It was the commemoration of the Exodus, coming out of Egyptian slavery, being a free people. The blood of the lamb applied to the door frame and and the lintel and the death angel passing over the homes and sparing the firstborn. And in haste, they take off out of Egypt. And the Passover had even more importance to Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. It's his blood that will be applied to the cross. It's his blood that will prevent my eternal death and damnation and yours. He is the lamb of God. What's important to Jesus should be important to us. And commitment to the word of God was important. Secondly, Jesus was passionate for the worship of God. Say that with me. Passionate for the worship of God. If Jesus was passionate for the worship of God, I need to be passionate and you need to be passionate for the worship of our God. Now look at verse 14. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, doves, and money changers seated at their table. So, so he's in the temple. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He could only go there once a year and that's the high priest. He's not in the holy place. What does it mean he's in the temple? He's in the temple area. Here, here's a diagram of the temple. There's the main temple, which was the high, high part there. That's where the holy place and holy of holies is. There was a court of priests, court of Israelites. There was a court of women. There was a court of Gentiles. And it's the court of Gentiles where the animals and the business and the merchants, that's where they are congregating and that's where this is taking place. And there is something wrong with worship at the temple. It's become a religious flea market. There's animals everywhere. The noises of oxen bellowing and sheep bleeding and and doves cooing. And there's not only noises, there's the smell of animal excrement everywhere. They're not holding it because they're at the temple. Just what you want to do is step in something on your way to the temple. I mean, there's animals everywhere. There's businessmen everywhere setting up shop. They're they're selling their animals for the sacrifices at the temple. And it probably started as a convenience. I I mean, you think about it. Why bring my lamb or my ox all the way from home, miles and miles away, when I can just show up and purchase one? Yeah, it'll cost me a little bit more. but, But hey, it helps out. It's more convenient. 
Some believe that actually it, it originated across the Kidron Valley at the Mount of Olives. But like the number one rule of all businesses, what is it? Location, location, location. And so, hey, let's set it up right here on this site right now. It makes it easy. It's convenient. We charge a little bit extra for the convenience and away we go. And by the way, they're not only selling animals, they're exchanging money seated at their tables. Why are there money changers? For a few different reasons. One is Jews from out of the country would come to Passover. And so they would need to convert their money. Uh, There's also a temple tax for every Jewish man. It's the equivalent of a two days wage, and it was paid using only Jewish coins because of the purity of the silver. And so they had to convert it for that. And you can find that in Exodus chapter 30 and Matthew chapter 17. So you got Jews out of country converting money, you got the temple tax, and then you've got animals that you need to purchase. Again, at an inflated price. What you got here is you've got a complete religious racket going on, and you got business booming. Because you got tens of thousands of people flocking into the city during Passover and they're working their system. They're, they're fleecing people financially in the name of God. Aren't you glad that doesn't take place today? Be careful of the religious hucksters out there who will fleece God's people in the name of God. You may say, well, isn't that what we're doing at our cafe? Bite your tongue, people. <laughs> We're not selling animals out there for sacrifice or trinkets or anything like that. So don't even think that way. By the way, you go out there and compare our prices to five bucks. I mean Starbucks. And you'll see a big difference, okay? That is a not-for-profit ministry out there. Where does our money go, by the way? Missions, okay? So understand there. Totally different. Don't even think that. Understand what is taking place, though, at the temple. Follow this. You get to the temple and you got to pay your temple tax. Then you pay a fee to have your money exchanged if you don't have the right kind of money for the temple tax. And if you didn't bring an animal with you, you pay an inflated price for one of their animals that they're conveniently selling you. And if you brought an animal, you had to pay for it to be inspected by someone to see if it would pass muster and be unblemished enough. And by the way, when it didn't pass, then you had to pay and buy one of their animals or trade your animal in and pay the difference so that then it could be approved. Oh, and by the way, the guy behind you would pay for your unapproved animal that now somehow became approved. And so they had the system down, man. This was a money-making religious racket with all kinds of hidden fees. The religious leaders were, were worse than banks with, with hidden fees. Worse than airlines with, with uh, hidden fees. Worse than resorts with hidden fees, okay? They were getting you at every turn. Don't you love going to like a Cubs or Sox game or Bulls game and paying like seven bucks for a bottle of water? Isn't that just great? Oh, I hate that. They're just, they're just, every time you turned around, you were getting hit with a fee. So, animals are everywhere. Merchants are everywhere. Worship is nowhere. And this was to be a place of worship. There's no worship happening. There's no 
drawing close to God like we sung just a little bit ago. God, draw me close. There's no drawing close. There's no prayers being offered. I mean, there's more haggling and dickering over the prices of things than over prayer. And and so instead of the temple becoming a place of drawing near to God, it became a place to lose your shirt in the name of God. And that's what's taking place. And, And no one is remembering the Passover. No one's remembering God's miraculous deliverance and the death angel passing over and faith in the blood of the lamb that saved them. And and none of that's going on. So people are being turned away from the true worship of God and people are being turned off from the true worship of God. And there's the saddest part of all. It was happening in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles were non-Jews could come and get as close as possible to the temple. It was the outermost court, and they had no access beyond that spot. So those that were outside of Judaism, that sincerely were seeking God to meet with him and understand him, were drowned out with the sounds of oxen bellowing and sheep bleeding, We're drowned out with the sounds of coins clinking and people haggling and bartering. And in the meantime, their nostrils were filled with the smells of animals. Welcome to worship. There's no drawing close to God. So a Gentile searching for truth had a hard time finding it. I pray this will never happen to our church. I pray that unbelievers, anybody who comes into our church, they hear from God. They're drawn to God. That they get a greater glimpse of who God is in his love and his mercy. And that they become true worshipers of our God. And by the way, if you're here today and you're, you're on a spiritual journey you're curious about the things of God, you need to understand how much he loves you. God has not just created you. He died for you. To save you from every sin you've ever committed. And we've all committed a lot of sins. That's how much he loves you. He offers his grace to you. He offers his mercy to you through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you to pay the price. He's the Passover lamb. So that the death angel judgment would pass over you. You can be saved and have eternal life through Jesus. And and we encourage you to call out to God and ask him to save you. And he will. Animals everywhere. Merchants everywhere. Worship nowhere. And Jesus has had enough. He's fed up. It's time for some spring cleaning. And he takes matters into his own hand and he drives everyone out and he starts a small stampede. He he grabs a scourge of cords, some kind of rope probably used to tie up animals and he makes it into a whip. And he he, he says, you people got to go and your animals got to go and you got to go now is what he says. And of all things, God is driving people out of his church, so to speak. Because he wants true worship. He wants pure worship. He wants hearts for worship. 
He wants them there for the right reasons. By the way, God wants you here for the right reasons. He wants you here to worship. To draw close to who he is as your creator. And your savior. He doesn't want you here trying to drum up business and find some new clients. It's not why you should be here. Now, if that takes place and you meet somebody and you make a contact, that's nothing wrong with that. But don't you come in here passing out your business cards. You check your motives at the door. We come to God's house to draw close to him and to worship him. Now, Jesus makes a big mess, okay? Look what takes place. Just picture this scene. He's cracking a whip, and he's driving out animals. So you've got animals running around, and you've got owners running after their animals, and you've got coins spilling out and rolling everywhere. You've got people diving and chasing for coins. He's flipping over the tables of coins. He's yelling, get these things out of here. Take them away. And you've probably got people yelling at him some choice things that were not very nice. I love this meme. Next time someone asks you, what would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. (laughs) Love that. We've been studying the glory of God, glory among us. I want you to understand, this is blazing, white, hot, angry glory of God. What I love about Jesus, he's no wimp. He's no wimp at all. He grabs, makes a whip, takes on all of these merchants and their animals, drives them out. Remember, he's a carpenter by trade. He's got some strength. Uh, Please remember, he just walked 85 miles to get to Jerusalem. Jesus is a man's man. He is not a wimp. So these pictures, when you see soft, cuddly Jesus, I don't think so. Yes, we're told he was meek. Understand the definition of meek. Meekness is power under control. You may say, well, he seems out of control to me. God is never out of control. His anger is always righteous. And this is righteous indignation. Now, now our anger can sometimes get out of control. So please don't start cracking whips at people and overturning tables and slamming doors and stomping feet, all right? James 1.19 tells us, This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, say it with me, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You will not achieve God's will in your life when you are all kinds of angry. Jesus does, because he's God. There are times to be angry, we're told in Ephesians 4. There's times it's okay to be angry. Be angry and yet do not what? Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. So it's okay to be angry, but make sure you deal with your anger before the sun goes down. That means you need to handle it now, today. Some of you are really angry at somebody and it's just festering in your soul and it's going days on end and it gets worse. That's why you need to obey this verse. You need to deal with your anger now and make it right with that person as as much as possible. Scripture tells us be at peace with all people as much as possible. Now, 
We see next the importance of fearing a healthy God. Hebrews 10.30, for, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hand of the living God. There should be a healthy fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. That's where we finally wise up. When we realize there is a God and we will stand before him someday. So what's important to Jesus should be important to us. To be committed to the word of God. To be passionate for worship of God. Thirdly, to be zealous for the house of God. Jesus is zealous for the house of God. I need to be zealous for the house of God. Look what it says at the end of verse 16. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And then 17, his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now notice something about being zealous. Don't miss this. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Stop it now. Zeal calls for immediate change. Zeal doesn't want to hear our excuses. Zeal wants immediate change in our life right now. Stop doing what you shouldn't be doing. I believe the zeal of our Lord is calling for immediate change in some of our hearts here today. Some of you need to stop immediately with the sin in your life. You need to stop the sexual sin. You need to stop the deception and lies. You need to stop cheating at school. You need to stop whatever that habit is. Zeal is calling for immediate change and he says, it's time for some spring cleaning. And you need your heart cleaned. And some of us here today need our lives cleaned up immediately. No excuses. You need to do it now. And before you leave this day, you need to have a time with your God in prayer, confessing your sin and asking him to cleanse you. Zeal calls for immediate change. Zeal loves the Father and loves the house of the Father. He says, stop making my Father's house a place of business and zeal for your house will consume me. And don't miss the play on words. My Father's house is not to be your business house. Don't make my Father's house your business house. And he calls God his father. So this is a declaration of deity. Jesus is saying, I am God. It's a declaration of Trinity. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so zeal calls for immediate change. And zeal loves the father in his house. And zeal is all consuming. It says here, the disciples remembered that it was written. They knew something about Jesus because of the word of God. And they knew Psalm 69.9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Don't miss this. We would do well to remember the word of God. And you can't remember what the word of God says. If you rarely read the word of God. 
You don't know what the word of God says if you're not spending time in the word of God. The greater you understand and know the word of God, the greater you will understand who God is, what he is like, what he prioritizes in his life. Because if you don't go off by the word of God, then you're just going off your feelings. What others tell you. And your preferences. Or your traditions, how you grew up. Like these religious leaders. No wonder their worship was so bad. No wonder they didn't understand what true worship was. They weren't in the word of God and understanding their God. They were so caught up in their man-made traditions that they had forgotten God. And they had forgotten what worship was really all about. Some people do that today. They think they know what worship is about, but they don't. They, They think worship is about how you dress. They think worship is about certain songs you have to sing. They they think worship is about stained glass windows or crosses on buildings or big cathedrals. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. We better be careful what we think worship is. If it's not based on the word of the living God... And who God is and what God says. Because then we just become hypocritical, legalistic, religious people who have our preferences and have our traditions thinking like it's scripture, but it's not. Many, many, many years ago, the organ was introduced to churches as an instrument. It was completely rejected from the pit of hell because it was used in theaters. Don't you put an organ in here. Then by the third century, every church in in Europe had an organ. And by the fifth century, most had two. And then as churches outgrew the organ and they got rid of organs, people threw a fit. How can we not have an organ? We have to have an organ. So it went from being from the pit of hell to it's God's preferred instrument. It's crazy how people think. And they don't think biblically. Know your Bibles. And you will know what God is like. You will know what he prioritizes. And what's important to him in his house and in worship. And Jesus was consumed with the house of God. May we be consumed with the house of God. And and listen carefully. I know this is not the temple. I know that this is not the tabernacle. But I believe there's application for us as a local church. We are God's children. We should love the Father's house. Amen? Amen. And, and the Father's house could be a, a building that a church owns. It could be a storefront that a church rents. It could be an open-air area underneath a tree in Africa. It's the gathering of God's people. 
We should love the gathering of God's people. So let's be zealous for God's house. And what does zealous look like when it means zealous for God's house? I believe we need to be zealous to worship. We need to be zealous to worship our God here. To lift our voices in praise. We need to be zealous to learn here. To come into this place hungry for the word of God. To have our souls fed. We need to be zealous to come in here to serve God. With the gifts and the talents he's given us. What are your spiritual gifts and how can you use them? Use them. We need to be zealous to give here. Not being fleeced. But understanding the clear scripture teaching of sacrificing to God of our offerings. We need to be zealous to pray here. To come into his house and spend time in prayer. And seek him. Come out on a Wednesday night and pray with us. We need to be zealous for fellowship. To enjoy the love of the brethren. And, 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 and be a part of one another's life. We need to be zealous to, to be here. To commit to God's house and to love it here. Hebrews 10, 24, and 5. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. Don't get in the bad habit of getting out of God's house. Get into God's house. And then, always remember how special God's house is. Psalm 84 some selected verses from the psalmist. Verse 1. Or, yeah, verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Verse 10, let's say it together. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold. I'd rather just stand at the threshold looking into God's house. The house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day here is better than a thousand out there. And don't you ever forget that. Be in God's house. May we fall more and more in love with the house of God because we're more and more in love with our God. Time for some spring cleaning. What's important to Jesus should be important to us. What did we learn today? Say it with me. Be committed to the word of God, passionate for the worship of God, and zealous for the house of God. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.